here in Kathmandu, Nepal, on a very historic day, we were able to dedicate the Nepali language fire Bible, the first full life study Bible that's ever been done in the Nepali language. In this book that you helped to create, we've got 78 articles, introductions to every book of the Bible, a concordance, theme finders, everything a pastor would need. In this country of Nepal, we see where there's incredible need. Hinduism, Buddhism is rampant in this place. You can sense the demonic when you walk down the streets of this place. You can see the people are in bondage. It's incredibly difficult spiritually to come against these things. But you've helped us to do that. You made it possible. We are doing something together that's attacking the darkness, attacking the lack, if you will, in the lives of our pastors as they're training to reach this nation for Jesus Christ. We were able to see pastors holding this, and, and you could just see the joy on their faces as they watch, as they open this study Bible for the first time in their lives. This fire Bible will change the game for every pastor that holds it, every pastor that reads it and uses it. This happened because of your involvement. Everything that you just saw, your faithfulness and your giving, is what helped to make this possible. Once again, I want to say thank you.
praying for you. I love you. And I believe that God wants to do something really special in these next few moments. In fact, I've been praying over this particular message in this particular time. And I want to tell all of our location pastors and all of our prayer teams to go ahead and get ready. I want you to pray up. If you aren't prayed up already, I want you to be praying through this experience because at the end of this experience today, we're going to go to the altars. And what I believe is that Jesus is here. And he wants to do something. He wants to reveal himself to every one of us. And we're going to look at who Jesus is. And, and we can experience Jesus on paper, but, but there is nothing like when you experience Jesus in your life. And I believe it at the end of the experience today that Jesus wants to touch your life. Maybe you have a sickness. Maybe you have something in your life that's impossible for you to move. But we're going to discover something about who Jesus is today. And I believe it that knowing that is one thing, but we're going to experience it together. Could we do that together as a church? Even right now, I want us to bow our heads, close our eyes, and in this moment, just invite Jesus. It's my greatest prayer for you that you'll encounter Jesus. So Jesus, right now, I pray it, that your kingdom evidence will be, be obvious all around. That not only would we have an encounter with you, but, but in that encounter, we would see the promise of your kingdom become reality in our lives. We put our faith, our hope, and our trust in you right now. In Jesus' name, everybody at every location said, amen, amen. We are in a series entitled Finding Jesus. This series is all about what it looks like to, to really put Jesus first, to have Jesus at the center of my life. And I love uh, how everybody could have a picture of who they think Jesus is. Like if you watch Talladega Nights, I like a little six pound, seven ounce baby Jesus. And I like my Jesus to party. He's got, you know, he's got a tuxedo t-shirt on because it's sort of formal, but it also says I like to party. So who is Jesus? Everybody, we, we like to use Jesus to justify our own behavior, religious people and non-religious people alike. And our goal together in this series is that we would go to the word of God and we would say, okay, I don't want to conform Jesus into my image, but I want to conform my life into the image of who Jesus really is. That it's possible as cultural Christians that we could look around at what other Americans are doing and we could say, boy, I'm pretty good. I, I must be just like Jesus because I'm doing a little bit better than that guy. I know, don't look around the room right now. Right? Like, I'm doing better than you and, then, and, and you and, and whatever that is. There, there can be a spiritual pride. There can be some level of blindness that we carry. And I want for us to have the blinders removed. That not only would we see Jesus, but we'd actually find him. The person of Jesus. That, that he, we would come alive in that relationship with Jesus one more time. 
I'm excited because we're getting ready to go into the Halloween season and we've got the Halloween truck or treat coming up and there's going to be all kinds of people just getting agitated because we use the word Halloween. And, and, and they're gonna, we're going to see the church world miss it in the next couple of weeks. And there, where people are going to get involved in all kinds of controversy and all kinds of, just, just all kinds of mess. And if we're not careful, even in the middle of this season, right now, as we're doing this series, we're going to miss Jesus. So I, I am looking forward to what Jesus wants to do today. And now, in this series, we've been looking at the book of John. You can turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4 if you have your notes. You can follow along with me in your notes. They're going to bring the scriptures up on the screen. If you don't have it already, you can download the YouVersion Bible app onto your phone and then follow right along. You can download the scriptures onto your phone. And in this series, what we've been doing is we've been looking at John as John is giving us these signs. In John chapter 20, it says this, Jesus performed many other signs. Everyone say sign. Come on, everybody say sign. sign. He performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. You'll see them in the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But John picks out seven signs. Verse 31, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, in that believing you may, everyone together, you may have life in his name. That Jesus desires when we discover who he is, that we'd have life in his name. That's the whole point. And so John's giving us these signs. We started out, we saw how John the Baptist was saying, saying, prepare the way of the Lord. Make your heart straight. There's actually something that you have to participate in the process of discovering Jesus. And all through the book, these signs are going to be given and there's going to be some people who will believe and some who will reject Jesus. It's the same sign. But there'll be those who are able to receive him and those who are not able to receive him. So what do we learn about Jesus from these signs? Well, today's message is entitled, The Second Sign, Go, Your Son Will Live. It's from John chapter 4. We're going to pick up in verse 46. It says this, Once more he visited Cana in Galilee. This is what we call the Cana cycle. That actually John, what the first sign we saw was the miracle in Cana at the wedding. Then from that moment, we go to John chapter three and we see Nicodemus who shows up and he has a conversation with Jesus at night. And he says, what do, what do I need to do, master, to be saved? Jesus says, you must be born again. Then we go from there to John chapter four. We discover the Samaritan woman. And, and now all of the sudden, there's this conversation that Jesus has. He says, if you knew whom you were talking to, you'd never thirst again. I have water for you that you can drink. And he reveals to her that he is the Messiah. And then they spend two days hanging out with the Samaritans and the Samaritans wholesale believe on Jesus. Now in verse 46, 
It says that he visited in Cana, now he's back, where he had turned the water into wine, and there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. So Capernaum is a ways off. The royal official now is probably not a Jew, is probably a Gentile, and he's working in a place that is probably Herod Antipas. He's probably working for Herod, and, and he's probably an outcast to the Jews. Verse 47, when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. And I think the emphasis in this passage is that he was close to death. John is always emphasizing life and death. There is this, this strong appeal that we find life in Jesus. In verse 48, unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told them, you will never believe. Now there's this whole other discourse around this passage having to do with his hometown. And in his hometown, he was unable to do many miracles. Why? Because people didn't believe. I ask the question to my leadership team very often, can you limit God? It's kind of a trick question. So people think God's omnipotent. He can do anything he wants to do. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. He's, he is able to do what he wants to do. And, the, and so in one sense, there's no way that I could limit God. But God in his sovereign plan has chosen to function in this world within a certain set of parameters. And it says that Jesus was unable to do many miracles because of their lack of belief. And I think that's an issue here in this passage in John chapter four. As he comes back in his hometown, they said a prophet is without honor in his hometown. And so the question for us that John has put up is kind of this weird, like this guy is like, I'm Jesus, I'm trying to get my son who's sick I need him to be healed. And Jesus starts talking about signs and wonders and the lack of belief and all of these things. It seems a little bit harsh on Jesus' part. And, and John is trying to set up this, there's the people of the region and the people that are outside of the region. And he's talking to the people of the region. Like y'all need to wake up Y'all need to come into a place of belief. And, and in verse 49, the royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. He had a plan for how he wanted Jesus to take care of business. How many have ever had that plan? When you pray and you talk to God, you tell God your nice set of instructions. God, I need you to do this. I need you to do this. I need you to do this. And then I need you to do this. Oh, there's about three of us that have ever told God what to do. <clears throat> and in that, this is what this meant. And it's, and it's not wrong. The Bible says that we're to go to God with our prayers and petitions on all occasions, to pray without ceasing, to actually kind of be annoying in your prayers. Like the, the analogy that we're supposed to have is this, this lady that shows up at the judge's house late at night, pounding on the door, like, give me justice. Give me some, give me, like, help me. And the, the person's like, okay, just to get rid of you. 
The word there is importunity. Like just, just keep on coming until you get your thing. That's almost what we see here in this moment. He's come from a long distance. He's found Jesus. And now he's saying, hey, help me. And, and Jesus is talking about belief and all these other things. He's like, okay, Jesus, I don't understand what you're talking about right now at all. But would you just come with me so that we could take care of my son who's sick? In verse 50, go, Jesus replied, your son will live. And this is a great moment. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. He took him at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as the time when his son got better, they said to him yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. So, so why is this a sign that Jesus is the Messiah? If we were to back up into the biblical times to the Hebrew mind, to the Jew who was anticipating the coming of the Savior, here are a few verses that they would have been familiar with. Isaiah chapter 25 verse 8 said, he will swallow up death forever. The Messiah is going to do this. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He'll remove his people's disgrace from the earth. The Lord has spoken. Isaiah 35 verse 5 says, Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. What is the evidence of the Messiah? That where Messiah goes, there's healing. There's restoration. There's power over the things that are killing us. Verse Isaiah 35 verse 6, Then the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Isaiah 53 verse 4 says it like this. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. Isaiah 61 verse 1 says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. This is Jesus. This is the Messiah, the sign of Messiah. So John says, hey, he did a bunch of other miracles. But here's the sign. Jesus spoke a word. He said, go, your son will live. He just gave a proclamation. He spoke one word and something changed. And so how do we know that Jesus is the Messiah? Because he can speak a word and things move. So what do we, what do we learn about this for, uh, for Jesus? In your notes, you can write this down. Number one, you might not have caught this in the passage, but Jesus is for all people groups. Jesus is for all people groups. This royal official 
was not the expected recipient of the grace of God. The royal official was the outsider. The Messiah, the Jews were looking for this Messiah who was going to come and bring forth some political solution and he was going to overthrow Rome. What he wasn't going to do was promote the welfare of the people who were oppressing us. Like, I'm good if he takes care of us, but not this guy over here. This guy's part of the problem. He's, he's on the other side of the aisle. He's a Democrat. He's a Republican. Like, what's, what's wrong with this? Like, we not, that's the other group. And Jesus came for all people. What's interesting It says that this man's whole household believed in verse 53. That not only did he accept Christ, but his whole household, slaves, servants, children, anyone related, they all came to Christ in this moment. That in this healing of the son that Jesus accomplishes, that a family came into a state of belief. And what's interesting, in the Cana cycle, from the wedding to this moment, the Jews have not believed. The outsiders, the Samaritans, and those who were not part of the expected return were the ones who found Jesus. So in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2, it We think about missions. We think about all the world, the Savior, the Messiah being for everyone. And we think of that as a modern missions reality. But it's a reality that was present in the Jewish worldview, but they just didn't want to see it. And I would suggest to us right now that it's possible that you and I don't want to come to terms with the Great Commission that says to go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples of every nation. Because here's what the Jews heard in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of mountains. It'll be exalted above the hills and all nations. Everybody say all nations. All nations will stream to it. Who is Jesus for? All nations. In in verse 3, it says, Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He'll teach us his ways, so that we walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Isaiah 42, verse 6 I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. That the Messiah would be a light to Gentiles. Zechariah 8.23, this is what the, the Lord Almighty says. In those days, 10 people from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. So into this moment, 
We have a world around us that wants us to separate off into our own enclaves, into our own groups, to not be worried about or concerned about what someone else is doing. There's litmus tests to determine whether or not you are authentic enough to be found in any particular group. And Jesus is calling us to discover who he is, the man who is for all nations. That we're getting ready to go into a kingdom builder season. We're going to be talking about this idea that we're going to leverage our finances to go into all the world and preach the gospel. That we're going to give money away. We're going to ask you to sacrifice significantly. And the vast majority of that money is not even going to be used at Two Rivers Church. That somehow we're going to, we're going to leverage it to go to things that don't benefit me. Don't benefit you. Don't benefit us. And Jesus is at the heart of that. He's the king for all nations. And and into that we discover, like, how, how is my mission's heart doing? How is my evangelistic heart doing? How is my sharing of the gospel to my neighbor? How is my ability to take, hey, we got an invite thing coming. We're gonna do some trunk or treat. I I might show up and do a trunk or treat moment at the church, but don't ask me to share Jesus with my neighbor. Don't ask me to have that conversation with my brother because he's gonna call me a phony. That there is this imperative that all peoples, like some point this year, we're going to have four different missions trips and we're going to go to Africa. We're going to go to the Dominican Republic. We're going to go on a local missions trip. We're going to go to work with abused women and battered women. And in those trips, we could say, hey, that's for someone else. That's someone else's problem. It's not my problem. And my thing is, I don't, we don't follow Jesus out of guilt or condemnation, but what we need to do is we need to say, okay, Jesus, does my life line up with who you are? Do I reflect who you are? That's a, it's a mental thing, but then that gets reflected out in the relationship thing. Because if I don't try to come into a lot in alignment with who Jesus is, I'm not following him. I'm not in relationship when the scripture is clear that I can't be in a relationship with God if I don't obey him. So number two, life is found as we talk about Jesus being for all people. That's not a universalistic message. In this very passage, there are those who believe and those who don't. Life is found only by those who believe and obey. We want a Jesus who loves and hugs everyone. We want a Jesus who he looks at you, he's like, oh, you're fine, you're doing good. We want a Jesus that accepts everyone into the kingdom of God because then I don't have to go anywhere or do anything. Jesus already did it all. Jesus loves everyone. He would never say you can't come in. How dare you suggest that Jesus might be selective? How dare you suggest that there might be something that I'm responsible for? And in this very passage, we find out that life 
is found only by those who believe and obey. The first two sign miracles are recorded in this Cana cycle. At the wedding, Jesus reveals his glory as the Messiah. He authenticates himself as the promised Messiah, the divine son of God. The sign miracle demonstrates the importance, this one, the importance of believing in Jesus and obeying his word. This is the sign. We've already learned that Jesus has miraculous power. We've learned that he's generous. We've learned that he's Messiah. The question is, will I believe and obey? The, the question that John puts in front of us is, will I, discovering, knowing, seeing the signs of who Jesus is, will I, like this man, this unlikely candidate, this person who's probably not supposed to be in, will I be able to believe and obey? John chapter one, verse one starts out like this. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Jesus says a word. He's the logos. Here's the word that's released. He says, go, your son will live. There's a moment that the word is released into your life. And what most people are, are wondering is, can I name it, claim it? Can I just say that God has said? And I would suggest to you that in a spirit-filled life, the Holy Spirit would make the word alive in you. That there is a relational component that you have to go to Jesus. He needs to speak to you in a way, and that would come alive in you. And that based on that, it's not fanciful. It's not this pie in the sky. I wishfully think that Jesus would do X, Y, Z. But that there's a word that Jesus gives and it begins to dwell in you and it gives you life and it gives you health and it gives you wholeness and it breaks the power of the enemy and it brings deliverance and it begins to change things. And when you get a word from God, something begins to shift. Because the word was with God, the word was God, and the word made his dwelling among us. John verse 4 says, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. There's some Christians that want you to believe that Jesus, there's no life in Jesus. There's just the misery of the law. That you can't enjoy the life that's around you. Why? You just have to suffer. And you just need to be in pain. You need to have to be all these other, just, just, just give up all that you have. Certainly God may ask me to. What a joy. What a pleasure. Because in Jesus' life. But the way they talk about it, it'd be like, you just miserable cuss. You're not doing enough. Someday you'll earn all of Jesus' goodness, and that's not how this works at all. John wants the reader to understand who Jesus is and believe in Jesus. 
And my question to you is, have you believed in Jesus? When you read through the pages of the word of God, when it's on the, on the page, does it pop off that page into your spirit? Does it come off the page and become alive in you? And you say, I'm going to do this thing now. I'll never forget. He's here with us right now. There's, there's Paul and he came into my living room. He said, I think Jesus is calling me to, to stop doing what we're doing. We're the local psychics. I said, well, what's the Lord telling you to do? I think we're supposed to shut down the, the psychic shop. It's okay, why don't you do what the Holy Spirit's telling you to do? Shut it down. I sent him a text this week, a picture. He was cooking outside of the psychic reading shop down on Vestal Ave. Making a, was braised barbecue beef. Cooking for our small group. It's one of the last days that he was at that house. They, shut, they closed up the shop. And today, Paul and Christy are pastoring Ignite Church in Endicott, New York. Something became alive in him. Something shifted, something dynamic and real. And he's like, I don't know how I'm going to feed my family. I read on the word of God that Jesus is my source. He's my provision. And Paul stepped out in faith. He said, okay, I got a word from God. I got a word, one word. Go. God, you want me to go to, why you want me to be a pastor? I'm not even sure if I'm allowed to be in the church. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to do these things. My life's kind of messed up. It's a little bit tangled. I got, there might be some reputation issues. There might be some problems around this. John wants to know, are you going to believe his word? Are you going to step out in faith? Are you going to hear from Jesus? And I, he, this man hadn't seen anything that Jesus had done yet. Jesus said he's going, to go, he's going to live. The man turns around, I guess I'm going to go home now. I, I'm going to stop asking and I'm going to start doing. Because that's the ultimate resort of belief. Like this is what happens. If you believe, then you will have behavior. If you believe, there will be some tangible action step that will be alive in your life. And I would suggest to you that if you're doing Christianity and you're dusty and you're dry and you're stale, it's because you haven't been talking to Jesus. You haven't been getting that overflow, that life, that abundance that comes that the living water begins to well up inside of your soul, that there is a impression that comes from heaven. And I would suggest to you that today is the day that you don't have to wait any longer to get that overflow, that you don't have to wait anymore to have that abundance that comes from Christ. Only believe. And in believing, then do the next thing. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word. So what do you need in your life? You might say, I, I need a miracle. I need a healing. I need something to move in my relationships. My finances are broken. My household is a wreck. My children are running from God. 
We come to Jesus. We come to the Messiah. We come to the creator of the universe. He has the power of life. He can speak one word and your body has to change. He can speak one word and your relationships will change. He has the ability to breathe. And in, in, in the moment, in just a twinkling of an eye, all of creation came into existence. It was at his word that the foundations of the universe were laid. It was at his word that he came back to life. It was at his word. It's his word. It's who he is. It's built into him in that way. And he reveals himself. And I don't want us to go to Jesus so we can get from Jesus. I want us to go to Jesus to fall in love with Jesus one more time. Because I promise you, when you come to Jesus, if it's all about what Jesus can give you, you'll miss the greatest journey, the greatest joy, the greatest contentment, the greatest peace. I have physical needs in my body that I need from Jesus, but I would gladly forfeit any healing or any moment of provision, if I could have the presence in the life, in the peace, in the joy of Jesus, there's a joy that is in my spirit that the world didn't give and the world cannot take away, that I have something that dwells in me that is renewing day by day by day, that you could take all of that I have and like Job, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord, there's a Jesus, there's a Messiah, there's a Savior that's here for you right now. He loves you with an everlasting love. There's nothing that you could do to earn his love. There's nothing that you could do to make him run from you. He sees you right where you are. He knows every single thing that you've ever done. And he gave his life out of love for you so that in this moment right now, you could receive him that you would believe on our Savior. And you're gonna find life and you're gonna find health. You're gonna find the evidence of the kingdom that it's real, something beautiful. I want every head to bow, every eye to close. I'm gonna pray with you. Jesus, I pray now over these next few moments at every location, the prayer teams and the community pastors, that your evidence of who you are would be strong. You'd break every chain. The spirit of the sovereign Lord would be on every single person. God, I'm asking that you'd reveal yourself, change lives, that people would step into a place of a new reality of your kingdom and your kingdom presence. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody together said, Amen.